You know, just arguing over race and all these ungodly things they're arguing over. I'm going to bend this thing. There we go. This thing's bent, brother, on the side. My Bible won't fit in it. There we go. I'm not calling you back up here. <laughs> but anyway, uh, folks, we're living in perilous times. We're right where the Bible said we would be. The glorious thing about the Scriptures is that we have promises of God we can stand on. Uh, we've got a God who said we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. I don't know how you came in here this morning, but I know even as a pastor, and I, I want to thank you, Brother Marvin, for inviting me, and I, I praise God for you and Diane. He said he hit the nail on the head. Him and Diane are two of our favorite pastors and pastor wives in the ministry. We met in seminary, and... Uh, been best of friends ever since. I, God sent me to help Brother Marvin out. Amen. <laughs> no, nah, God sent Brother Marvin to help me out. But uh, we love Brother Marvin and Diane. And I want to remind you of something Warren Wiersbe said, the great man of God who traveled the world, preached conferences, wrote commentaries, a godly, godly man. He said he traveled the entire world and he never seen a thriving, spirit-filled church where there wasn't a great level of respect and love for the pastor and his wife, and a pastor who had a heart and a great love for God's people. And when you put those two things together, he saw the Spirit of God moving mightily in those churches. So hey, before we even start revival, I want you to understand you have a godly pastor and pastor's wife. You need to hold their arms up in the ministry, folks. And I say this humbly because I'm a pastor now for 25 years. Good pastors are getting hard to find. A lot of them are buckling. Some of them are getting out of the ministry. Some of them are retiring at early ages. Some of them are claiming they don't even know God no more. And, and some of them are getting involved in all of this woke stuff going on and dragging it into the church. You've got a man of God and a wife who believes the Word of God and stands on it. And you need to support them and hold their arms up because I know for a fact they tell me how much they love y'all and how precious you are to them. Take those things and put it together. You'll have a great recipe for revival. That didn't have a whole lot to do with the sermon as we look at book, book of Mark, but that was a little lanyard, we called it, a little extra. In Mark chapter 9, let's go ahead and get to the Scriptures. I want you to start with me in verse 1. The Bible says, And Jesus was saying to them, <clears throat> Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here with are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. His garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, <clears throat> for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. All at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man 
rose from the dead. They seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. They asked him, saying, What is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does first come and restore all things. And yet, how it is written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it is written of him. Our Father in heaven, I stand before you, Lord God, a needy servant, Lord. I need you, Lord. I can't do this without you. I pray you would forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit to preach the Word of God, that your church, the people of God, would be edified, that, Lord God, they would be convicted, they would be corrected, they would repent and confess sins, whatever the need of the hour may be. Meet with us and convict us and deal with us. Tug on our hearts. And, Lord God, we'll give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise for all that you do, Lord. As you open up your word and convict our hearts, we pray for the lost to be saved. If there are those here this morning who are lost and undone and without Christ, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day that they repent, lay their lives down for Christ, and follow Him. And Lord Jesus, we'll give you the honor, the glory, and the praise for all that you do. In the name of Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, we pray. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of standing on the mountain with God. There are so many things that we can learn from this glorified state that Jesus allows Peter and John and James to see. We see that they go up to this mountain, and first of all, I want to point out to you, as before he's transfigured, the mystery of this transfiguration. The transfigured Jesus, we see this in verse 2 and verse 3. The Bible says he was transfigured before them and his garments become radiant and exceedingly white as no launder on earth can whiten them. Your translation may have shining, mine has radiant, but it's like the, the, the picture of a flashing sword or the blinding glare of the sunlight bouncing off of a soldier's shield. Folks, this wasn't no ordinary uh, occurrence right here. I mean, when you think about this, Mark talks of Christ's clothes. Matthew and Luke give attention to Jesus' face, being shining, being radiant, being glorious. This wasn't no ordinary situation right here. They see Jesus in his glorified state. Folks, could you imagine the thoughts that are going through their mind? Could you imagine if you was to be in the presence of Christ and his physical body turned into the glorified state? That he did right here. We see the transfixed disciples in this scripture. Right here in verse 6 it says, They became terrified, the Bible says. Now I want you to think about that for a second. In the book of Exodus chapter 3 verse 5, Moses standing before the burning bush. The Bible says, God said to Moses, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for you are standing on holy ground. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. That is a far cry from what's going on in the churches in the day and age we live in, folks. I mean, a lot of times we come to church and people just come nonchalantly into church, drinking coffee and sipping tea and texting on their phones and walk out the doors and there's pizza parlors in the, in the foyer, there's hot chocolate bars and 
People just come into church and walk out when we worship. I want to tell you something. When these disciples was in the presence of a holy God, they were mesmerized, literally is a good English word we can use. The Bible says they were terrified. And a better one translation is they were mesmerized. They were in awe at the presence of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. Church, I want to tell you, this is a far cry from what we see in the day and age we live in. We see disco lights and smoke machines and comedians and concerts and power teams. And I never could understand a power team. A bunch of grown men running around tearing up phone books half naked with muscle shirts on. Probably pumped up on steroids. And they're there to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put some clothes on and get a Bible and preach the word of God. We don't need to see muscles, we need to see Jesus. We need men of God hid behind the cross and the Lord Jesus Christ glorified in the worship services. I like what your pastor said before he told me to come. He said, Brother Marty, go up there. You don't need no introduction. We came here to hear Jesus. Folks, we must decrease and God must increase according to the word of God. These disciples saw Jesus in his glorified state. They were mesmerized. We don't need power teams and movie nights and helicopters dropping Easter eggs on uh, Easter and coffee shops and hot chocolate shops and preachers who get up and water down the word of God and get a big round of praise while they say a whole lot of nothing. We came here this morning, church, to worship Jesus. We didn't come to hear a band. We didn't come to hear an evangelist or a pastor. We've come here to open up God's Word and to worship Christ. And I believe with all my heart these disciples were transfixed at the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. They were mesmerized at the presence and the glory of God. And Folks, I'm telling you when the glory of God falls upon the church, we're going to be still and know that God's our God. We're going to be still and know that we're standing in the presence of a holy God. We're going to be still and know that when revival truly hits, it's no longer business as usual. We'll be mesmerized at the power and the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I was watching TV one morning, and it might have been at night. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. And old Jesse DePlantis from New Orleans, Louisiana, the comedian, He got up and he was saying he was in his bathroom shaving. And Jesus in his physical body walked in and said, Hey, Jesus, what you doing? What a blasphemous story, folks. You mean to tell me, Brother Marty, you calling out preachers and saying that they're comedians? Yes. Folks, there's people preaching and teaching to be acknowledged, to be exalted, to make people laugh. People are dying and going to hell. We don't need comedians in the pulpit. We need men of God with backbone that will stand in the word of God and preach, thus saith the Lord. I want to tell you, if God himself would have walked in that bathroom, he wouldn't have turned with his rage and said, Hey, Jesus, how you doing? He would fell on his feet, uh, face as a dead man in the presence of a holy God and he would have been terrified and mesmerized at a resurrected Lamb of God who's glorious and holy and on his throne. If he would have walked in, he would have fell on his face like John writing the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos. The Bible says when John was writing the Word of God on the island of Patmos, he wrote in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, And when I saw him, the Lamb of God, I fell on my face as a dead man. 
He laid his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore according to the word of God. Jesus had to put on his hand on him and steady him when he fell on his face. We don't treat Jesus like some salesman that comes through church and pat him on the back and say, what a great product you have. Isn't it good to see you? Hello, Jesus. No, folks, we serve a holy, righteous, omnipotent God who deserves way more than the shallow praise that most preachers are preaching. Folks, I want to tell you, there ain't no man would see Jesus in his physical state and not be mesmerized at the presence of God. We see a transformed, a transfixed disciples. They're mesmerized at the presence of God. And then we see a transformed scene. The Bible says in verse 7, Then a cloud formed overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. Well, I want to tell you, this cloud was the Shekinah glory of God is what they witnessed. I want to tell you something. At the completion of the tabernacle, this bright cloud was a memorable part of Israel's history. At the completion of the tabernacle, we see this transformed scene, this cloud, the Shekinah glory of God. They were familiar with these teachings. At the completion of the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, chapter 40, verse 34, you can look it up and read it. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out. This cloud and this transformed scene was the Shekinah glory of God. And Jesus in His glorified state is revealed to the disciples in His glorified state. And I'm trying to tell you, this was a memorable moment to the minds of those who understood the Old Testament Scriptures. Unless the presence and the glory of God was on upon them, they did not move. When they were still, they would be still and know that God was their God until they got further, uh, further uh, instructions from God Himself. I'm trying to tell you, church, what we need is an old-fashioned Shekinah glory experience in the church of the living God. We need God to come down and tabernacle amongst us, and we don't move until God speaks. And when God speaks, we move when God says move. Not more meetings and ministries and programs and lesson after lesson after lesson, but I'm telling you we need the presence and the power of God to speak to us. When God speaks, we move. And when God's not speaking, we be still and know that He's God and we pray and we seek God till further instructions. They were very familiar with this cloud, folks. The question is, is that what you want to rest upon Bethany Baptist Church? I know that's my prayer for you, that God will so rest upon your pastor in this congregation, you know exactly what God's telling you to do. And you know exactly what he's telling you not to do. Sometimes it's not all about just getting out and going do things, folks. Sometimes it's being still and worshiping God until he gives you further instruction. What is God speaking to your heart this morning? What is God showing you? We're at Brother Marvin's house testifying. A group of pastors all get together. An associational meeting. It wasn't this association. Don't get nervous. I think it was another one. 
And a, a pastor said, well, what did God speak to y'all this week? What did God speak to y'all this week? And none of the pastors could say much. What has God been doing in your church? Did somebody get saved? Did someone got a testimony? Does someone have a praise report? Folks, if we want true revival, there ought to be some testimonies and some praise going up. Not just about the next dinner on the grounds, but somebody got saved. Somebody got ministered to. Somebody was brought into the kingdom of God. And we're here to tell you God still moves. God still saves. God still speaks to the heart of His people. And God still performs miracles. He's a miracle working God. He's a faithful God. He's a loving God. He's worked in the past. He can work in the present. He's still the God that can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ever ask or think, according to the power of His Spirit that works within us. This is my prayer for this revival meeting. We'll move when God says move. We'll speak when God says speak. We're here to acknowledge Him and do whatever when He rests upon us what He wants to do. This is His church, folks. Marvin will tell you that. It don't belong to Him. It belongs to Jesus. We're just entrusted with the kingdom of God as servants of the Most High God. Colossians said in 1.18, Christ is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Folks, the church don't belong to the preacher. It don't belong to the deacon body. It don't belong to a charter member. It don't belong to a Sunday school teacher. The church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we give God the right to his own church to do what he wants? to come down amongst us and to breathe revival into our souls where we get a heartbeat for God and for prayer and for Bible study and don't just be hearers of the Word, but be ye doers of the Word, filled with the Spirit of God. I mean, there was a transformed scene. And then we see the miracle of the transfiguration. The Bible says in verse 4, Elijah appeared along with Moses. A voice came out of this cloud, out of the Shekinah glory of God. God spoke just like he did when he spoke to Moses. And the cloud appeared to the children of God. What were they speaking of? They were speaking to Jesus about his departure. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. In Luke chapter 9, verse 30 and 31, it tells you a lot of people ask that question, Brother Marty, what were they speaking of? Well, if you read the Gospels all together, you will find in this same account in the book of Luke, it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 30 and 31, Moses and Elijah were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They were speaking of his death and burial and resurrection and his departure, folks. That's exactly what the Bible says in Luke they were speaking about. Why is this important that we see Elijah and Moses, Moses the lawgiver, and then Elijah the first of the prophets and the greatest of the prophets? They're speaking to Christ about his departure. You're talking about two patriarchs of the Holy Word of God, folks, that knew about departure. The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy 34, 1 and 5, Moses died alone on Mount Nebo. He's about to depart. He knew about his departure in his life, about departure when he brought the children of God out of Israel, out of Egypt, and to the promised land. 
And a death angel is going to come and destroy all the firstborn males of the Egyptians. And they got to take the lamb and, and uh, slay that lamb and take the blood and put it on the doorpost. A representation of the blood of Jesus and the old rugged cross. And they would be spared if they had the blood over their homes, folks. Now Moses is on Mount Nebo, alone with God, about to depart and be with the Father. It don't say exactly the specifics of the conversation, but they were talking about his death, burial, and resurrection, his departure. It makes that much clear. That we do know. What Moses could have possibly been telling Jesus, I don't know. I just let my mind kind of run wild, and I don't want to add or take away from the Scriptures, but I can just imagine that Moses was saying, Lord, you know what I'm about to tell you. You're the Master. You know all things. But I want to share with you, when I was on that mountaintop with God, God was with me every step of the way. But it was just me and Him. I was separated from the children of God at this point I want to share with you folks there's times in your own walk with God it's just you and God there's places like Jesus he had to go to the cross all by himself nobody could walk with him or go with him to that cross he had to go all by himself depending upon his father to meet his need and take care of him and there's a principle here for you and I folks if we're going to be partakers of the sufferings of Christ, I'm telling you there's times in your life when your wife don't understand you, your husband don't understand you, your church members don't understand you, Brother Marvin, your brothers and sisters in Christ don't understand you. There's places you got to go sometimes and you'll walk with Jesus all by yourself. But praise God. He said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He'll be with us always, even until the end of the world. Praise God, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Praise God, he'll supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Praise God, all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. You may be going through it alone, but you're never alone as long as you got Jesus. He'll be there. He'll take care of you. He'll meet your needs. He'll give you the strength and the comfort like Jesus, even all the way till death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for me to live as Christ and to die is gain as a child of God. Could you imagine Elijah's there? Elijah knew something about departure. You can read that in the Word of God. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, it says, And Elijah went up my world, went into heaven. He knew something about departure as he's talking to Jesus about his departure. I don't understand maybe what the specifics of what he said, but I do know this. Elijah's about to depart and be with God, but he's not going to experience a physical death. Fifty prophets of the sons of the prophet are following Elijah and Elisha over there in that passage of Scripture. They get to the Jordan, and he tells Elisha, you can't come, you've got to stay here. Fifty prophets of the sons of uh, uh, sons of the prophets over there watching Elisha and Elisha, uh, uh, Elijah and Elisha at, at the banks of the Jordan. He tells Elisha he can't come. Elisha says no. He says I've got to come with you. I can't stay behind. I need to come with you. Don't leave me here. And Elijah says, "You can come with me across the Jordan." And he takes his mantle off and he folds it. 
and he taps the waters. The waters of the Jordan separate, and him and Elisha walk across the Jordan. They walk across the Jordan. Elijah looks at Elisha, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, Elijah, I want a double portion of your spirit. If you see me swept up in the chariots of fire with the horses of fire, he said, you'll get a double portion. But if you don't see me taken up with a chariot of fire and chariot of horses, he said, then you won't get the double portion. And here's how his departure took place. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for the carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for the carry me home. Well, I looked over the Jordan and what did I see? 10,000 angels, they were coming for me. Coming for the carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for the carry me home. And I don't know exactly what the conversation was, but maybe he said, Lord, I remember when God came down with chariots of fire and chariot and horses of fire, and I didn't even die. And he swung down and picked me up in them chariots of fire. And the next thing I know, I was in the presence of God. And Lord, you know already, Lord, you know all things, but you're going to die. And you're going to go to that cross and you're going to shed your blood. But you can count on the Father. Three days later, that stone's going to be rolled away and you're coming up out of that grave and you're going to sit down at the right hand of God. Do I have to remind you, Lord, what's going to take place? And I believe with all my heart they were there just like the angels in the wilderness to minister to the Son of God. I'm telling you, church, listen to me carefully. There's coming a day when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the King of kings and the Lord of lords in the air. Can you give Jesus a big round of praise? He's coming back for the church of the living God. So we see the faithfulness of God in the past. He took care of Elijah, he took care of Moses, he'd take care of Jesus. If he took care of Elijah and he took care of Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, he knows how to take care of his own church, folks. The God of the past is the God of the present. He was faithful to the children of God then. He was faithful to the Son of God at the death, burial, and resurrection. He'll be faithful to his church all the way until he returns in all of his glory. So we see, number one, the faithfulness of God in the past, then we see the faithfulness of God in the present. Don't you think about this in verse 7? A voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved Son. You remember some of the words of Jesus? I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what pleases the Father. The faithfulness of God in the present. Jesus knows this. Fully God, fully man, and I can't explain that mystery. I'm not even going to attempt to. But fully God and fully man, he knows 
that his faith and his trust is in God the Father. What do you do, folks, in perilous times? What do you do when you're even facing death? What do you do when the world's falling apart? You remember that God is a very present help in a time of trouble. If God be for me, who can be against me? He who did not spare his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he also with the son of the living God freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God that justifies according to the word of God. He was with the servants of God in the past. He's with us in the presence, God. Uh, guys, he's here this morning. Didn't you feel his presence when you were worshiping God this morning? I don't know about you, but I sure did. I want to tell you, if you didn't feel God's presence this morning, God didn't light upon you, your wood's too wet. You need to get a Bible and stand on the promises of God. As a matter of fact, folks, I have this in the back of my Bible, and I want to take this a short moment, Brother Marvin, if you don't mind, to, to share something with you. Listen to the words of this old hymn, standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I now can see. Perfect present cleansing in the blood for me. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord. Bound to him eternally by love's strong cord. Overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. I tell you what Jesus was doing, and I tell you what Moses and Elijah done before they went on the glory. They were standing on the promises of God. Folks, you either standing on the promises of God this morning or you sitting on the premises. I want to tell you, folks, I believe with all my heart you get a copy of the Word of God, you get into God's Word, you begin to study and pray, you claim every promise God's got in the Scriptures, and you stand on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Could you imagine what this mountaintop experience done for Peter and James and John? I got a sneaky suspicion from here on out they were standing on the promises of God. You think about this. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, At my first defense, no one else supported me. All deserted me, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Folks, just like Paul and your life and my life, just like Jesus facing the cross of Calvary, there are some places in life where you're going to have to go all by yourself, but you're never alone. You may feel like you by yourself right now when you walked in this morning, but I won't tell you who's with you, and that's the one that mainly counts is God. God's with you. 
God's the one that said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll be with you always, even until the end of the world. And then we see the message of this transfiguration. The message to Christ is one of perseverance. This is my beloved son, the Father says in verse 7. The Father and the Spirit gave Jesus the strength to persevere, folks. Fully God, fully human. And that's the same way that God operates in your life and my life. We persevere by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The very presence of God gives us the strength to persevere, to endure. You think about this, and Jesus is departing words to Peter. In John chapter 21, verse 18, he says, When you were younger, Peter, he says, You used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. You know what he was talking about in that passage of Scripture, don't you? That Peter would be crucified. He was going to die, except upside down on a cross. You remember in Peter's life? The one who denied Jesus three times, the one who cursed and swore he never met the master, didn't know him, a little servant girl. Ran from a servant girl. Denied the master. Jesus told him he would deny him. But then Peter, filled with the spirit of the living God, perseveres like Jesus all the way to the cross. By the spirit of God and the power of God, and by God's Holy Spirit and by God's Word and the Father who gave Jesus the strength to persevere and go to that cross is the same God that the Bible says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. We can have courage to live and strength to die. Isn't that not what David wrote in the Psalms? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And a lot of times we stop right there, but just go just a little bit further. For thou art with me. I want you to stop and think about something as this revival kicks off. Is God not here with us? Is God not with us when we leave this building? Is God with us when we get in our cars, when we go home and raise our children and love our wives as Christ loved the church? Is God with us, folks? Everywhere we go, if we're children of God, God is with us. When we're standing on His promises, remembering the faithfulness of God in the past, remembering the faithfulness of God in the present, just like Jesus having ministers, uh, Elijah and Moses minister to Him. Is that not what we're supposed to do as the body of Christ, minister to one another? Support one another, encourage one another, love one another. Folks, let the world out there and the politicians argue and dispute and throw bricks out of. Let us come to church and so let our light shine before men that they'll see the good works in us and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Beloved, if God also loved us, we also ought to love one another. And Jesus told the disciples, they will know that you and you and you and you are my disciples indeed by the love that you have one for another. And folks, that's what the world needs to see. A gospel that loves lost people and loves each other and it's evident in our midst. This message of Christ was one of perseverance. This message to his disciples is one of practicality. What was so practical about this transfiguration? 
In verse 5, Peter says, Hey, I know what we're going to do. Now, could you imagine? I'm just not wired like this. If I'd have saw Jesus transfigured, well, I probably would have dropped dead. Peter looks and says, Hey, time out, Father. I know he's transfigured and going, but I've got a good idea. I know what we're going to do. We're going to build a tabernacle for you, and we're going to build one for Elijah, and we're going to build one for Moses. And there takes Peter off, the Shekinah glory of God in his presence. Got plans, but not a word from God. And folks, if we want to have true revival, sometimes we need to ditch our plans and get a word from God before we start planning and get a word from God. Amen. Peter had plans, but he was outside the will of God. Peter had plans, but he was in the very presence of a holy God, the Shekinah glory of God, and his glorified Lord and Savior. And he's got it all mapped out. Sometimes we need, if we don't have revival, we need to stop planning and stop mapping things out and get on our faces before God and pray for God's will to be done in the church, folks. One of practicality. Here was Peter's intention. This is a very practical lesson. Peter wanted to stay on the mountaintop. He had every plan of staying there and building three tabernacles. Do you see that? What you trying to say, Brother Marty? I'm trying to tell you to start this revival, folks. Sometimes them mountaintop experiences will happen in life, but that's not always. That's not the way the Christian life works. Sometimes we're down in the valley. We're not on the mountaintop. Them mountaintop experiences ought to be to remind us of the glory and the power and the presence of God and cause us to want to come down off that mountaintop and get in society and go out there and do what God has called us to do. This mountaintop experience practically wasn't for Peter to stay up there and build tabernacles. It was him to experience the glory of God and the power of God in such a way that when he goes down and Christ descends, the church is cut loose and begins to win souls and preach the gospel. Peter's going to stand up on the day of Pentecost. He's going to preach and 3,000 folks are going to be saved by the grace of God. That's what mountaintop experiences ought to do for you and ought to do for me. We get so fired up about that mountaintop experience, we can't help but go out and run and tell everybody we run into about the things that we saw and we heard because we've been with Jesus. The message of Christ is one of perseverance, is practicality, and then the message to his followers is one of perception. How do you perceive your mountaintop experiences as a child of God? The Bible says in verse 9, as they were coming down from the mountain, Folks, I've had God do some amazing things in my life. But you want to know how I perceive these mountaintop experiences for God and the blessings of God? I fall on my face. I praise God for the blessings. I praise God for answered prayers. But I perceive this in my own Christian life. We're not always on the mountain, folks. Sometimes we're like Paul and Silas in prison, beaten, bleeding, crying out to God down a real midnight and praising God when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. He wrote that from a prison cell. Mountaintop experiences ain't always meant to last, folks. There's sometimes when you go through death. There's sometimes when you go through mourning. There's sometimes when you go through persecution and suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I like what one man of God wrote about coming down off the mountain with Jesus. He wrote these words. Listen to me carefully. The trouble with most disciples is once they have a mountaintop experience, you can't get them in the valley. And once they get in the valley, you can't get them on the mountaintop anymore. 
Let's face it. Life is full of ups and downs. Life is full of valleys. Life is full of challenges. Life is full of sickness. Life is full of death. Life is full of financial problems. Life is full of children going astray. This false gospel in the United States of America that when you get saved, you're always going to be healthy. You're always going to be rich. Everything's always going to be okay. You're always going to get the promotion. You're always the one next in line for the raise. You're going to be rich one day. You're never going to get sick. Folks, that is straight from the pits of hell. Jesus' life wasn't like that. Peter's life wasn't like that. James' life wasn't like that. And John's life wasn't like that. But I'll tell you what it was like. They didn't let mountaintop experiences ruin them and get exalt themselves and get prideful and think they were something. But yet, when they went through the valley and suffered, they didn't stay in the valley. And there's the healthy balance for you this morning. If you're in a valley, you don't have to stay there. But if you're on the mountaintop and God's blessing you and things are going awesome right now, guess what? Don't let it get you conceited and fluff you up to think that you're something. Jesus said, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. And I want to challenge you, church, as we start this revival. Are you remembering that the God of the past is the God of the present? The glorified, descended Lord Jesus Christ is on his throne. He's coming back in all of his glory. We've got mountaintop experience and we've got valleys, but guess what? Jesus is Lord over all of them. And I want to tell you, when we stand in the presence of God and we truly worship and we truly cry out to God and seek God for revival, we realize that it's not our planning. Not us getting all things together and putting stuff on paper and then saying a five-minute prayer and say, God, now bless this. It's really praying for the Shekinah glory of God to come down and rest in our midst. And folks, I want to tell you the Spirit of God shows up and we're going to recognize He's going to do things a whole lot different than we've been doing for years and years and years. And we humble ourselves and pray and cry out to God for true revival. How many of you want individual revival right now? You really know. Hey, man, how many of you would be honest enough to say, Brother Marty, I'm in a valley right now. I'm suffering. I'm hurting, man. I need revival. Folks, I go through that as a pastor. I say like one evangelist, I get so low sometimes I could dangle my feet from a gum wrapper. Because I've learned when I'm in that valley, God's right there with me. When I'm struggling, Tory, God's right there with me. When I'm hurting, God's right there with me. When I'm being persecuted, God's right there with me. But I've done learned along the way. I'm not always in that valley. Boy, there's some time when God's just blessing and things are happening and God's moving. And boy, you just begin to praise God and you say, God, don't let me get in the way. Don't let me take no credit for it, Lord. Don't let me try to rob you of your glory. Keep me humble, Lord. And I want you to pray this morning as we have this invitation. Your pastor's going to come up here. Maybe you need to come to your pastor and say, Brother Marvin, I hadn't encouraged you and Diane like I should. I haven't stepped up to the plate. Where do you need help around here? What can I do to serve? I don't want to sit and be a consumer. I want to contribute to the kingdom of God. Where can the church use me? Where can I help out at? Maybe you've lost your first love. You want revival? Pray for God to come and fill you with his spirit, give you a love for lost people. Fill you with the boldness to go out and tell them about Jesus, folks. 
We get what we cry out for, and if we cry out for nothing, we get nothing. But when we really get right with God, when we really begin to cry out to God and repent and hit the altars and encourage the pastor, Brother Marvin, hey, look, I know him and Diane love you guys, but y'all need to be connected, supporting each other, holding each other's arms up in the midst of the battle. And look, we all need encouragement. Every one of us ought to be like Barnabas if we want to see a revival take place. Loving each other, respecting each other, honoring. Folks, I want to tell you, hey, I'm just going to say it like it is. I'm going to leave. I don't have to stay here and take the result. Brother Marvin will clean it up. Some of the biggest bickering and arguing is found in Baptist churches. That ought to be expected from the world, but that ought not be expected in the house of God. This is where we come to support each other and love each other, folks. Don't get your little old feelings hurt if something don't go your right. If you want to truly see revival, humble yourself and don't be a whiner, be a shiner for the Lord Jesus Christ. You give everything you've got into the kingdom of God and God will give you everything he has to break this church out in revival. And so as your pastor comes forward, maybe you're here today and you need to be saved. You've been attended, but you know today if you died, you would spend eternity in hell. Would you repent? Turn from your sins. Lay your life down for Jesus and follow him. The Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father, which is in heaven. There's no secret Christians in the word of God, folks. When they got saved, they come out. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believeth. Maybe you need to be saved. You come tell Brother Marvin, Marvin, I need to be saved, Brother Marvin. I know this church can't save me. I know you can't save me, but I want to repent. I want to follow Christ as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to come down to this altar. Maybe you don't want to come to the altar. Maybe you can pray just right where you're at for personal revival. Maybe you need somebody you need to forgive. You want to see revival? You go across the aisle and tell somebody you got hard feelings and bitterness towards them. And you go get right in the presence of God and you watch what the love of God will do in that situation. Folks, a lot of times we say we want revival, but revival costs. We've got to make some decisions that will line up with God's word so God can fill us with his spirit. I'm getting out the way, Brother Marvin. I want you to come take over and you guys respond. However God has spoken to your heart, you respond to the gospel message and the preaching of God's word. I don't have nothing else to say, but I'm going to ask our brother Sam, our youth pastor, and brother John's our worship pastor. I'm going to tell y'all, we meet on Mondays. We've been having staff meetings for quite a while. Miss Terry comes in there with us. And I know these men's heart because I see them bow to the Lord and pray for you. Pray for God in this fellowship. And the Bible says we're to pray for one another. We're to confess our weaknesses to one another. And if you can't come to seek help for where you are struggling with us, there ain't no other human being you're going to come to probably. We can't fix you, but we can help you along the way to the one who can. His name is Jesus. Maybe you have something right today that you need to bring to the Lord. Come and pray with John. That's a praying man. You know that. This man loves you, youth. If you need to come and pray with him, pray with him. And I will pray with you. Or just come and just do what God has already spoken enough. We just want to be here to be with you, to support you.
as we seek God together. So let's stand. I'm going to pray quickly, and then we're going to sing. Father, we just want to be obedient. They know what to do. Your Spirit's able to show them. Now it's just a matter of obeying. So help us to be that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to come, come and pray.